What up, AOTA family? Welcome to Passing Period and All the Above Podcast Extra. We like to drop these in between our full episodes, and our full episodes, of course, are our dope shows, chock full of dope headlines and super dope guests. And our next full episode is coming at you next weekend with two, two super dope guests from Minnesota. I'll let Jeff talk about that um, later on this episode. But in any case, welcome back. Uh, my name is Manuel Russin, your favorite teacher's favorite teacher. And I'm here with Jeffrey Garrett, Mr. Super Duper Principal Leader Man. And Teacher Appreciation Week has come to an end. And before we get into this week's headlines that we want to talk about, um, I just got to quickly address Nike, the athletic apparel company, and their refusal to appreciate me during Teacher Appreciation Week. Jeff, I believe you, you might have missed it, but I was trying to get Nike's attention this week because I teach at the high school that Jackie Robinson went to. The building is old, so it's literally the same building, at least the main building, that he used to walk. And Nike has this special edition shoe that's uh, themed around Jackie Robinson in the 75th anniversary of Jackie Robinson entering the major leagues. And I, I would really love to get my hands on this shoe so I could wear it in the hallways that Jackie Robinson walked in while I teach and do my thing. And Nike refused to respond to me. Uh, the shoe is currently just like hard to find and I'm just asking to be able to, to purchase it from them. And um, they did not respond to my very cute little video that I made and posted on the, the socials. And I'm just here at the end of Teacher Appreciation Week feeling like, aside from a couple Starbucks gift cards, which I do appreciate, um, a kid got me some Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, my favorite candy, so I do appreciate that. Overall, I just wasn't feeling the appreciation for teachers during this Teacher Appreciation Week. So Jeff, I am hopeful that this passing period this week, we will be able to share about all the wonderful things happening in the world of education that express love and appreciation for teachers and also the, the students that we serve, Jeff. So please help me get this, this sour Nike taste out of, my, out of my cranium so that we could just move forward into hopefully a very awesome end to the school year. Yeah, well, I, I think the first thing I want to say is uh, shame on you, Nike. Phil Knight, we see you and your hateration, lack of recognition of uh, Dr. Rustin and the good people at his school uh, in Pasadena, California. And uh, I think what I want to say or what I want to ask, uh, Manuel, is why does Nike hate children? Um, you know, clearly. Yeah. Uh, this is this is a company that uh, that that does not believe in uh, you know truth, justice, and the American way, Manuel. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. How about that, Nike? Uh, Absolutely. There's certainly something there. We should definitely investigate them, just like we should investigate Disney and all these groomer corporations as well, Jeff. This is just um, mm, not good stuff, yes. man. Mm -hmm. Yes. Although, I, for some reason, I think the uh, the folks who are calling people groomers might. Might not care too much about your Jackie Robinson. Oh, they definitely uh, don't care. Commemorative, commemorative <laughs> sneakers. They definitely don't care. Well, I, I don't. I don't know. Maybe that's their their proof that racism is over. Because I mean, hey, Jackie Robinson, he's in the Hall of Fame. How could how could America be racist, Jeff? Here's here's the great irony. I've been to the Baseball Hall of Fame in uh, Cooperstown, New York. It is it's actually a fascinating uh, museum, right? Really, and uh, there is a whole not section, I don't know. There's a whole area at the Hall of Fame uh, that's pretty much dedicated to Jackie Robinson's, uh, you know, uh, impact um, on the game and history. And they're captured 
you know, plain as day are just a few of the hundreds of letters that Jackie Robinson received uh, threatening his life, threatening the life of his family, calling him every nasty name that you can think of. Um, and, you know, uh, encouraging him, let's just say, to not do what he was doing and making it clear to him that if he chose to continue, that his life was going to be on the line. And the great irony of all of this, Manuel, is that the very people whose handwriting is captured in those letters um, or whose, you know, grandfathers uh, and grandmothers handwriting is captured in those letters are the same people that don't want anyone to learn about how their grandmas and grandpas wrote those letters and went to the game and cursed Jackie left and right uh, for doing what he was doing. So, uh, so yeah, low probability that the groomer crowd uh, cares at all about, about true Jackie sneakers. Uh, and they probably do think Nike is working with Disney to, uh, you know, to, pollute the minds of, of children, uh, yeah. I'm sure. So, I mean, I remember they were yeah, trying to is... burn their Nike gear and all that when Kaepernick uh, signed that deal with Nike. So yeah, you are correct. They they will not be on my side here. Nike clearly doesn't care either. So I guess I'm all alone in this, Jeff. I know. One day, one day, maybe I'll get my hands on those shoes. But yeah, man, maybe next year's Teacher Appreciation Week. We'll see. Here, here's the thing, Nike. You got to pick a side, man. The crazy <laughs> nutty folks on the right, they're not going to buy your Nikes anyways, man. Yeah, Like you said, they burn their Kaepernick jerseys. They already think you're the devil. Come come enjoy uh, this side of the fence, Nike. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, okay. That's enough of our free consulting to corporate America this yes, morning, uh, Manuel. Um, let's, uh, let's jump in to um, to our main topic today which I think, you know, is a different angle, let's say, on something that's been very much on lots of people's minds this week uh, in terms of the activities or potential activities, activities we all know they're up to, even though it's not official or official yet, uh, of the United States Supreme Court, which is chock full of some of the craziest people in the world. Um, so, Everybody knows that uh, this week a draft opinion in uh, the uh, the case that is going to or that is challenging and will likely overturn Roe versus Wade um, was released uh, quite scandalously to uh, Politico and everybody's been talking about it and talking about it and talking about it um, all week. But we are going to take a little bit of a different perspective on this and uh, want to give a shout out to the folks at Rolling Stone, um, specifically Jack Crosby at Rolling Stone, who um, wrote a piece this week about uh, a more specific education lens on this issue um, entitled Greg Abbott reveals the GOP's plan after killing Roe versus Wade, which is killing public education. So, uh, you know, a little bit of a dramatic headline, but also like not that dramatic uh, in this <laughs> in this day and age. So, um, so folks probably are aware that Texas Governor Greg Abbott is uh, a fairly extreme political figure, um, and that the Supreme Court is, as folks know, set to overturn Roe versus Wade, and to, for the first time, certainly in our lifetimes. Um, really take a bold step forward at removing uh, individual rights from an entire class of people that we have kind of all presumed 
to be a, a basic assumption um, of that these things exist and the state should protect and enforce um, these individual rights um, uh, for for all people, or certainly for classes of people that it applies to. Um, and you know, of course, the United States has a long history of not granting rights in the first place or resisting the application of new rights to groups that were denied them uh, from the beginning. All you have to do is look at, say, the 13th, 14th, 15th, 19th, 27th amendments of the Constitution and see that, like, we've had some work to do uh, from the beginning, um, and we're certainly not done. But we've also been on a fairly decent run um, over time of the court uh, expanding rights of individuals. And even as we were talking before the show, Manuel, even if you looked at this through kind of a right-wing lens, you could probably come to the same conclusion, right? That, um, you know, corporate personhood is an expansion of rights. Now, I, you know, I think it's crazy, but okay. Um, you could say the same thing around uh, the Second Amendment and, you know, this the creation of the idea of an individual right to own uh, you know, to own guns and possess guns, right? That that, that is, is something that the court has expanded over time. And now we are potentially looking at an onslaught of restrictions of rights. And uh, what is being written about here in Rolling Stone is fascinating as it applies to public schools because Texas was the, uh, the case or the state that produced um, a 1982 Supreme Court case, uh, Plyler versus Doe which folks who've uh, studied the court might um, might remember that um, in that case, um, the court essentially said that the state of Texas could not deny uh, districts and municipalities funding to educate uh, undocumented youth. Uh, of course, at that time, they were referred to as illegal aliens. Um, so, you know, it's funny to go back and read that language now and how draconian it sounds. But um, basically, the court said that undocumented youth have a 14th Amendment right as persons, as human beings, very clearly, who exist in the state of, of Texas to have equal protection of uh, the law, which in Texas includes access to a free and quality public education. So, um, so that's been on the books, uh, not only uh, in Texas, but of course, uh, impact across the country for, you know, going on four decades now. Um, and of course, our good friends on the right wing here uh, see that as an affront to like freedom and truth and America and whatever. And so um, they are apparently plotting and planning and seeing this, uh, this uh, progression on Roe versus Wade of removing individual rights from all women and uh, people who can get pregnant uh, as a door opening to the idea of revisiting uh, past precedents that um, could have massive impacts on, on education, which is not to say that the overturning of Roe wouldn't either, because they're, you know, of course, they're also talking about you know, we are also looking at a, a future where half the states or more in the country will have laws on the books that, uh, you know, say don't allow children who've been the victims of incest or uh, or rape to get an abortion and have to carry to term uh, their rapist's child. So imagine, uh, you know, say fourth, fifth, sixth grade teachers of the world who have the youngest girls who may be able to get 
biologically pregnant, um, you know, at that stage in their development, having pregnant kids in class would care in their abuser's child, you know, because the state said they have to, right? So uh, scary territory we're moving into, um, Manuel, in general. And, uh, you know, in this world where we are seeing attacks on, uh, on trans youth, right, bans and prohibitions on gender-affirming medical care treatment, um, things like we just described with, uh, you know, forcing girls to carry to term their rapist child, um, and now plots to, uh, to prevent states from educating undocumented youth, uh, it's getting real out there, Manuel, real, real fast here. And, um, you know, lots of, uh, potentially very scary things coming down the pike from this, uh, from this court here. So, um, Manuel, uh, want to hear your thoughts and take on this. Like, am I overreacting? Is this, uh, is this as bad as it looks? Um, what, what say you? Well, you are not overreacting. And to all of those who have told us for years that we're overreacting, we don't have to be so afraid of, let's say, you know, 2016 election. It's not going to be so bad. It's not going to be so bad. Or the Supreme Court justices that Trump appointed, like, oh, it's not going to be so bad. They're not going to overturn Roe. They're not going to do this. They're not going to do that. Like all the voices that have told us for so many years that like, we're like being unreasonable here. It's not going to be so bad. It's, you know, these things aren't going to happen. And then step by step, these things happen. And here we are now with the road decision. So anyone who says like, okay, fine, there's this, but that doesn't mean they're going to go and do this. They're not going to go after same-sex marriage. They're not going to go after, in this case, uh, undocumented students being able to get a, a, a rightful, fair, equal education. Like, now nah, miss me with the whole like, Oh, you guys are overreacting. Like, obviously we're not. Obviously overreaction is probably the proper reaction at this point because of how swiftly this is all happening. And it's quite scary, obviously. One phrase that I've always, I wouldn't say I've hated this phrase, but it's always rubbed me the wrong way is that, you know, we've come a long way. So, you know, you hear folks say that all the time, like, yeah, you know, we have our problems, this, that, whatever, but, you know, we've come a long way. We've come a long way, uh, you know, referencing whatever advances that have been made since, civil rights era and, and and what have you. And that whole we've come a long way is problematic for a couple of reasons. One, because there's so many folks today, this day, right now, who are really, really struggling um, because of the injustices, various injustices that are so present in our society and our institutions and all over the place. But also, you know, we've come a long way, obviously ignores the folks who, who didn't make it on that journey because of the violence uh, imposed upon them and who aren't here to enjoy whatever progress you believe to have been made. And also, in this case, you see that there is a clear winding back of whatever progress has been made. So don't tell me we've come a long way while we are presently sitting here and watching the clock be rewound back to obviously the, the road decision, but now considering all these other cases, the um, Lawrence versus Texas case, the, uh, the one that you just referenced, the Plyler versus Doe, and clearly like we've come a long way is insufficient now because if we're not careful, we'll be back to whatever was present before. Clearly, this is all an effort uh, to go back to whatever vision of, I don't know, America in like the 40s or 50s that folks on the right want to uphold. And I'm old enough to remember when California, liberal, wonky, communist, Marxist, whatever California passed a, well, voters of California approved Proposition 187, which explicitly mm. denied 
um, public services for folks who are undocumented. And this was in the 90s, and it explicitly denied the right to education for undocumented youth. And that passed. It passed. So California voters voted in favor of no longer schooling undocumented folks here in the great liberal state of California. And yeah, that was in the 90s when we had a Republican governor, but it wasn't that long ago. I know it feels like, I mean, for anyone who's, let's say in their 20s right now who are listening, maybe the 90s feels like it was forever ago, but it really wasn't. It was like a blink of an eye ago. And that leads me to fully, fully be confident in believing Governor Abbott when he says he wants to go after this. I fully believe him. I fully believe it's possible. I think if I were a person of that ideology, of that dehumanizing view of others, if I was a person with that sort of heart for not wanting children to get an education just because of wherever they might have been born, if I was a person like that, yes, I would right now be thinking, ooh, green light, let's go, let's get in while we can with all of the things that we want to have passed because clearly this present court does not care about precedent despite what all of them said during their um, confirmation hearings. This current court clearly does not care about what's right. It clearly does not care about a humanizing view of others. So yes, this is the time if you are somebody who does not, have, does not have love in your heart for folks who are of different backgrounds as you, for folks who are of different identities and beliefs as you, if you do not have love for those folks, this is the time to, to run things back as far as you can. So yes, this is something to be concerned about. And uh, just I, I, I just struggle to understand why you know, I, I've as a as an 18 year classroom teacher, I've encountered so many students of so many different um, just backgrounds and belief systems, and just I don't I just don't know how you can not have love in your heart for others, even and especially when they come from different backgrounds as you. Like it's such a beautiful thing to see young people just grow and learn and develop. And it's such a beautiful thing to learn about other cultures. It's such a beautiful thing to learn about other experiences and perspectives. It's just such a beautiful thing. I don't understand for the life of me how one could devote so much time and energy and focus on trying to suppress others and with re remove others and block others. I just don't I just can't understand that mindset. And I know it's it's wrapped mm. up in, you know, conservative Christian ideology. And I just, I don't understand that either. Like, I I just don't, like, I know plenty of folks who, who go to church and plenty of folks who are devout Christians. And it's such a, the, the folks that I know, it's, it's such a religion of love for others that I don't understand how one can pervert it to be one of barbed wire, fences, uh, separating families, doing all these things. I just, it's just so disheartening. It's so disheartening that, um, yeah, it's just, it's quite, quite worrisome. So yeah, Governor Abbott's doing this and somebody else is drafting papers, I'm sure, to to go after all these other rights that have been um, so-called extended over over the last several decades. So yeah, man, it's, uh, it's scary stuff, it's scary stuff. And certainly if you're an educator in Texas, I mean, uh, certainly, like hug your hug your students, man. Hug your peoples and, and get together. And, and it's time to it's time for action. It's time for organization. It's time to to be ready for this fight because obviously we're not going to allow we're not going to allow folks to to deny children their education. Like, period. And don't talk to me about like he's talking about the cost that we're incurring the cost of educating all these folks. Like incurring costs. Like 
I, I don't have Texas's budget in front of me. I'm quite certain um, a great deal of their money is spent towards law enforcement, towards incarceration. And I'm sure he's not complaining about that cost. If anything, I'm sure he's somebody who advocates for uh, spending even more money on that stuff. So don't talk to me about costs, man. It's uh, uh, it's frustrating. Yeah. You know, something you said a minute ago, uh, Manuel, really resonated with me when you were like, uh, you know, they want to bring us back to like the 40s or 50s or whatever, you know, whatever time they they romanticize as the good old days right. in their head. And honestly, I was like, well, which 40s and 50s are we talking about? We're we talking about the 1940s and 50s because <laughs> there's a bunch of these folks that want to go back to the 1840s and 50s. And if you really scratch the surface, there's a lot of them that would prefer the 17 or 1640s. Or hey, you ain't or lying. 50s. You ain't lying about that. You know? And that's not as funny, but it's not a joke. You know what I mean? Like these, these folks are, are very serious. Uh, and, you know, to, to, to be in a place where we have to actually, you know, sincerely confront that kind of question is, is very telling of the, the kind of stakes of the moment that we're in here. Um, and, you know, the other thing that, uh, that this makes me think about, Manuel, was the, um, that James Baldwin quote that I, I think, you know, you sort of see every now and then on, on social media and other places that goes, uh, we can disagree and still love each other unless your disagreement is rooted in my oppression and denial of my humanity and right to exist. And I think we are definitely, in my mind, at least at a point where that's where we are, right? Like are, are the disagreements that we're talking about, about aren't disagreements about strategy to achieve a common, to like enact a common set of values. And maybe they, maybe they never have been, right? I, I always want to shy away from like romanticizing the past. Um, but I think it's very clear right now that like the stance that Greg Abbott is sharing about you know, preventing undocumented youth from going to public school is not rooted in a, a, a value system that sees them as human beings of deserving of, of education and opportunity and, you know, uh, care and nurturing and support from the community, right? Like this, this, this is rooted in a, a dehumanizing, violent perspective that wants to do actual harm, right? Like physical, psychological, economic, um, emotional, et cetera, harm to these children and to their families as a result. And so when we're in that situation, right, we, we can't engage in the discussion as though both sides are coming to the table with a valid perspective, right? Like one side is coming to the table with a uh, an oppressive perspective. And then, and then there's us, right? <laughs> there's the rest of us who are like, ah, uh, these are human beings. We should treat them with respect and dignity and how we would want to be treated. Right. Like it's, it's in the Bible, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Do exactly. unto others. Uh, I, th I think that, I think the Bible you love so much was pretty clear on this question. Exactly. I think that guy, Jesus, who you loved, you know, did say something about strangers and how you should treat them, you know, and foreigners, how you should treat them. Um, so, so it, it, it's a, it's a fascinating and perilous position. I think that, that we find ourselves in uh, Manuel and raises all kinds of questions in my mind about like the, you know, the, the, 
required reaction that uh, educators, us as a whole, and and institutions of education are going to have to to take in response, right? So, like if if this if there is another case that overturns Plyler and that's and that says states don't have to educate their undocumented youth. There's, you know, there's a high likelihood, I would say, Manuel, that probably states like California and New York would would just continue to educate, you know, continue to tax and educate um, their undocumented youth as they had been. And then there's probably a whole bunch of states where that wouldn't happen. So we'd, we'd have this kind of like we will see with abortion, right, this kind of patchwork uh, of different laws in different states that create different types of penalties for people who potentially, you know, violate um, the laws, right? Um, and so, you know, what what do we do in that situation, right? Do we do things like uh, encourage or incentivize undocumented folks to move to, you know, to states where their kids can go to school? Do we uh, support people in you know, in manipulating the system in some way to to not lose access to education, but you know, to um, to still gain access to it, right? Um, do we expand something like the Dream, you know, the Dream Act that we sort of still have it as a you know as federal policy right now? You know, like what what are the actual steps that we should be considering taking in response, knowing that this is what they're working on, right, and knowing that this court. Is the kind of court that um, that would go this far, right? That like would take away education from un- undocumented youth, right? And would see them, you know, yeah. just roaming the streets or whatever all day, right? Um, so, you know, it, it raises some questions to me. Like as they get more radical in their kind of oppressive efforts, and as they work to weaponize the institution of school against certain populations, whether that's uh, LGBTQ plus students, whether that's undocumented students, whether that's girls, you know, whether that's racial uh, minority groups, um, how do we respond in kind, right? Like, what's what's the level of radical response that uh, that we can and should be working to institute from a policy perspective, or even thinking about taking in in acts of resistance, right? I mean, like. This is this is one of those moments, perhaps, that is not unlike things we read about in the history books where we're like, you know, if I was there, then I would have, you know, know, if I if I was in Germany in 1933, I would have hidden Jewish people in my house. Like, I'm not letting them take my neighbors or, you know, if I was on a plantation, I would have freed all my slaves or whatever. Like that we're in a moment where those kinds of choices are needing to be made, right? Um, and so I, I wonder what the, you know, what the implications are and whether we're ready for that level of, um, you know, kind of uh, meeting, you know, fighting fire with fire, so to speak, um, in response to some of these just like obviously violent, harmful uh, court decisions and policies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, important questions there. We'll see. We'll see what happens because obviously, like, there's a, a long road ahead, and you know, obviously, this was a leak. So we have this whole uh, wait until until June to see the the final 
ruling and and or final decision and and see what what happens then and then we got a big election season and some folks will see that as as a best path path forward and others will rightfully think well we voted on all these previous elections and it doesn't seem to be helping out uh, i was thinking uh deeply this week about my first like presidential vote that i got to you know cast and that was the um 2000 election and i remember when um bush was when Bush was declared winner. And I remember thinking at the time as a youngin, I remember thinking like, man, the ramifications of this, like I, I can't even imagine. And, and now looking back, it's like, okay, I, I see now. And, and this is all part of that long thread of popular vote, not adding up to what actually happens. And, um, you know, I saw something about the, um, there's only of all the presidential elections since like 88, like only two of them did the Republican candidate win the popular vote, something like that. I could be messing up the numbers, but in any case, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, so another election is coming up. So another time for us to have that debate about whether or not voting, uh, is the proper course forward and whether, you know, all that stuff. And it's just, uh, yeah, man, it, it's in the midst, you know, in the, in the midst of all of that, we still have a school year that unfortunately has been much more challenging than than a lot of I mean it, it's been more challenging than I thought I'll say that I, I thought this school year coming back to in person I thought this would be a really coming together healing reimagining type school year and it's not been that and those of us in the classroom or those of us working with schools are, are trying to focus on doing the best we can to conclude the school year and to plan for next school year amid like what feels like the world falling apart and the world being on fire. And those of us here in California, you know, for, for our listeners who aren't in California, you know, a lot of times a, a picture is painted of California of, of, you know, progressive ideals and, you know, they don't have to worry about this stuff in California. And that's just not an accurate picture. So like right now we're in the midst of, of a bit of a, a struggle at the university of California level around ethnic studies and, those who think like, oh, we're all good in California, like ethnic studies has full support and all that, like it's simply not true. And the UC currently is is um, considering adding ethnic studies as a requirement to gain admission to the University of California schools. And in doing so, they've received a lot of backlash, a lot of folks who are unhappy with that for uh, very, very... Um, partisan reasons around, you know, just the beliefs that ethnic studies is divisive and that teaching about race in a critical through a critical lens is is causing people to to hate each other or to blame folks and have, you know, oppressive mindsets or whatever. And all that stuff is kicking up and the resistance around this uh, UC requirement is is building. So if you are in California, just keep paying attention. The UC system is trying to pass what they consider to be um, and what is actually rightfully, I mean, it's put together by 20 ethnic studies experts, uh, scholars, practitioners um, who are selected by the UC system to put together criteria for what they want to see in a high school level ethnic studies course for them to consider that uh, their incoming students have a robust background in that. You know, a lot of folks are saying that the UC system is is trying to indoctrinate kids and, and all this BS that's simply, simply, simply not true. And in California, we've seen school districts themselves do things such as in, in Orange County, one district, uh, Yorba Linda, I believe, Placentia Yorba Linda School District, they voted to ban critical race theory. So those of you out there who are listening, who are not in California and thinking, well, at least in California, they don't have to deal with bans on curriculum, bans on this and that. Like actually in some districts, they already are trying to do that individual districts. So of course the UC system has to do something to make sure that there's some kind of a consistency across uh, their applicants with regards to what sort of courses they received. So that battle is is certainly ongoing. 
And to everybody out there who's advocating, not just in California, but um, just throughout throughout the nation and beyond, who's advocating for education that sees our students and values uh, folks of all backgrounds and that helps folks understand and develop um, the, an understanding of how systemic oppression works and how what agency we have to do something about it. Like, yo, keep keep fighting the good fight because the struggle is far from over and our students deserve it. We deserve it. I mean, Jeff, you and I grew up in, I mean, you weren't educated in California schools, but like you and I grew up through a school system where we certainly, certainly, certainly wanted to see uh, and learn more about ourselves and our own uh, people's histories and and especially in, in relation to the complexity that is the United States of America. And I feel like all students deserve to to learn these various perspectives and to learn about themselves and their own people's history. So keep up that fight. Uh, if you are in California, stay alert, man, because they are, uh, some folks have already talking about this UC proposal as somehow like overriding what the state had or somehow like circumventing what the state um, is is asking for in terms of ethnic studies. And it's simply not doing that. I can affirm that these criteria are in congruence with the ethnic studies model curriculum that I helped um, present to the State Board of Education. So just keep your eyes out on that. We, we need robust ethnic studies at the high school level and the UC system uh, certainly is a very, very important element of that since so many of our high schoolers are put on education paths that are um, aligned with trying to support them into gaining admission to UC system, but also being uh, strong students who could um, flourish at that at that level. So there is that out there as well. So Jeff, man, mm -hmm. a lot going on, man. I don't know if, uh, if there's anything else uh, we should certainly tell our listeners about next week's episode. But uh, yeah, man, what else, what else we got going on, Jeff? Well, man, well, there's, uh, there's two things I want to say uh, before we conclude the show. One is that uh, next week we got a great episode coming up. Um, as, as usual, streak of only the dopest <laughs> guests fully, fully intact, four years and counting now. Uh, we got two guests coming up next week, which, which is pretty fascinating. And I must say, with a certain tone of pride and respect in my voice, two guests coming to us from the great state of Minnesota, my home state, from the city of Minneapolis, my, uh, well, not technically my home city. I grew up in St. Paul, but, you know, my sister city um, where I have lots of people. So, um, yeah, two fascinating guests. We have uh, Makisha Nation, who's the executive director of Teach for America uh, Twin Cities, and uh, James Barnett, who's the executive director of an organization called Teach Minnesota. Um, both of whom have been uh, leading, advocating, organizing around efforts um, to support educator diversity um, and the recruitment, retention, and sustainability of uh, educators of color. And, you know, people might be thinking, you know, well, what, you know, that's kind of an interesting choice of guests to come on from, you know, from Minnesota on this issue. But Minnesota is actually kind of a fascinating case study in this area, Manuel, because um, as in as is the case in many places around the country, the cities in particular, Minneapolis and St. Paul, very, very diverse uh, student bodies in the public schools. So, you know, overwhelmingly students of color, very rich, diverse immigrant, uh, you know, populations. And um, and yet teachers of color make up, you know, a, a, a tiny fraction uh, or educators of color, I should say, make up a tiny fraction of the workforce in schools. And as we see in many places, 
disproportionately, those folks of color who do work in schools are working in um, in non-credentialed roles, right? So are working in like TA positions or, you know, school aid positions or those sorts of things. And not that there's anything bad about working in those positions, but the disparity is pretty stark, right? Um, and so... Uh, so we're going to bring on these two wonderful guests, Makisha Nation, James Barnett, to go deep into kind of these questions about what's happening in Minnesota on this front and what the kind of national implications are um, as we, I think, as many states and localities around the country are thinking a lot about this issue, right? Um, uh, especially at sort of this moment in history. So that's what's coming up next week. And uh, Manuel, the second thing I wanted to say, which I, I'm just going to say something very briefly about right now, I think I'm going to try to have more to say in a more um, coherent and well thought out uh, manner in our next episode. But um, but we, uh, we missed a week recently, and uh, that's because I am actually in Minnesota right now, and I'm here because... Uh, I had to come home to to take care of my mother, um, who just uh, a, about a week ago passed away, and um, so I've been uh, overwhelmed and occupied, and you know de dealing with my own grief uh, and working with my you know my family and her community um, here, and um, I I bring that up in this space. Um, also to say that my mom was a huge supporter of the show. Um, she, she came to the studio back in the day when we filmed, uh, in person and, uh, you know, sat, sat quietly and watched yeah. us, uh, record for a day. And, you know, she bought, she bought her, uh, her shirts and hoodies, um, and she shared the show with her friends and, and family and, um, so I think it's only fitting in this space to just um, to just acknowledge her. Uh, she was, you know, one of my very first teachers and, and a major reason why I became an educator. And um, so, I, like I said, I, I'm going to try to have something more organized to say about it. But um, it's been a it's been a very difficult couple of weeks for me here and, and my family and just want to. Um, Send some love to my mother wherever she may be now, and uh, know that she she is listening and supports um, and has supported us here and all of the above. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. I think I could speak for the entire AOTA family in extending our love to you and yours and support for you and yours um, and love to your mama who who might be somewhere talking to my pops who was also a big fan of all of the above and when I was going through his Burn. his. Yeah. his um cell phone after he passed and um you know he had all the above like you know the little icon bookmark like right there on his home screen of his of his show of his uh cell phone so yeah man it's tough man thank you for sharing and looking forward yeah. to that that class dismissed where you could share more and uh about her and uh the dopeness that she was and the dopeness that she um uh, exemplified because um yeah man uh, I, I remember that day uh, her in the studio and yeah, man, wonderful, 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 wonderful energy, wonderful presence, uh, for sure, man. So thank you. Thank you. And, uh, folks out there in the, in the podcast space, I guess, cause this one is not a video episode like our full episodes are, um, stay dope, stay dope. I mean, we got a, uh, about a month left of school year for, for most folks and just hang in there. I want to shout out, uh, the 
at Trust West Educator Advisory Council for very, very affirming and, and very dope conversations yesterday. And shout out to Miss Beverly at my school site for putting on a super dope career day, super dope career day. And uh, all the educators out there who are doing their best in these times to do what's best for our, for our students and to uh, finish the school year off right and to build, hopefully, a loving, humanizing school space for all students um, in the the days ahead, in the months and years ahead. So shout out to all of y'all. But that's it for this week's passing period. It is now time for you to go ahead and get to class.